Hello, church. I got to have the experience this week of being with all five of my grandchildren. And that's just an amazing joy and exhausting joy, but an amazing one. And our youngest, uh, we got to celebrate his third birthday party a couple days early, but since the, the whole group was together, got to do that. Now, he's moving from two to three, uh, from the terrible twos to the horrid threes. <laughs> the reason we call them that is because a child's going through a developmental stage where they need to clarify that, that part of their brain is actually coming online that tells them who is them and who is the other and what they can control and what they can't. Now, that takes a few years to come in, but that's when it's really hitting is during the terrible twos. When it comes to the book of Revelation, we can easily become terrible twos, forgetting the rule about Bible books. The rule is, this book was written for us, but it was not written to us. We cannot steal it from the people, the context, and the culture to which it was written. Instead, we need to understand the target. We need to find the context, get the why down before you go too far. I don't want to get bogged down on theories about how to interpret the book of Revelation. There are several major ones, but we'll, and we'll get to that in time. But for now, let's get ready to look at the messages to the churches, where it specifically says it was written for them. <clears throat> Sorry, there we go. <clears throat> Not COVID, just old man. <clears throat> Every single day. And I get this pleasure without having ever smoked, which is even more exciting. The gifts keep coming. You'll be happy to know that the messages to the churches are, for the most part, written in very plain language, not apocalyptic language at all. This book is to them and to other churches where it would have been circulated. It takes the form of a pastoral letter. And in fact, if you look at chapter 1 and the way it breaks down, and then go take a look at chapter 1 out of uh, the books of Corinthians, the books of the, uh, Thessalonians, Philemon, or the like, you'll see there's a pattern to it. They use the same pattern that Paul did, and that is set up, introduction, purpose, statement. Then whatever else you read into the book has to fit inside that pattern, purpose, statement. It's got to fit. Or we have taken it out of context. We don't want to do that. Whatever else you, need, you read into the rest of the book, ask yourself, would this have been useful to people under the, the reign of Domitian? Now, Domitian was a Roman empire, uh, Roman emperor, rather, who excelled in brutality upon his own citizens. Anything that might threaten his continued reign or the view of him as Lord and God and Savior had to be wiped out in the most cruel fashions imaginable. In fact, this book, and I'm holding up the Bible today, but I want you every time I pull this thing up just to think right now of the book of Revelation so I can have a prop, all right? Every time we look at this book, you need to know it is soaked in the blood of the martyrs. That Domitian 
later Diocletian, before this, Nero had soaked the ground with Christian blood time after time after time. And that this book is written to people who had survived Nero, barely, were trying to get their legs under them, and now comes in Domitian and lays the hammer down even harder because he was more intelligent, more sane in his insanity than Nero. Sometimes, Christians, there's a lesson. You don't get a breath. You don't get a rest. There are times where you will get bowled over by life. I mean, just run over by the truck. And you start to stand up and you shake yourself off and another one hits you. And you're thinking, I should have had a break. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes we don't get these breaks. These people had barely gotten their feet under them. They had barely buried their dead. This book is a polemic. If you don't know what the word polemic is, and I'm, I'm not trying to be um, condescending to you, it's a word you don't often hear anymore. It is a written or verbal diatribe. There, I did it again. Um, negative, harsh condemnation statement. This book, Book of Revelation, is an attack on Rome and on all states. Now, we are to be good citizens. The Bible says God set up government in order to keep us safe and keep law and order. But none of us believe that God was in charge of figuring out that Stalin would be a great leader. Governance we must have. But our leaders very often have nothing of God in them. And it shows. This book goes against that concept that we should divide our loyalty between Christ and Rome. And that's, one, that's the first of the two major hard lessons I'm going to ask you to, to understand today. Here comes the first one. This entire book is a call to Christians to never compromise with the state. Never water down or compromise our loyalty to Jesus Christ. He is our king. And in fact, he even calls us his bride. My bride of 41 years is still my girlfriend. In fact, my grandson even asked me that. He said, is she still your girlfriend? And I said, yes, she is. And he just looked at me. And I said, I like to hug her and kiss her. And that's when he went, ah, and ran away. So it was an effective conversation. <clears throat> the, um, the fact is that she is my delight. And I think I'm hers. It's not okay with me if she flirted with somebody else. And it would not be okay with her if I flirted with somebody else. Let's just pretend somebody would be interested. <clears throat> I'm asking a lot of you today. <clears throat> you are the bride of Christ. Do not flirt with the world. Do not flirt with its sins. Do not flirt with its governments. Do not flirt with its systems. This book, I've asked this to be put up on a slide <clears throat> to help you get the words. It is anti-assimilationist. It is anti-accommodationalist. It is resistant literature, resistance literature. Now, I'm aware that there are political movements right now called the resistance. Not what I'm talking about. 
as Christians, we draw lines around our heart, our loyalty, and our actions, saying, hither shalt thou come, and no further. Years ago, Scotland was voting for whether they should become independent of the United Kingdom. The build-up for it was quite a long time, and so many friends of mine came to me because they know where my heart lies uh, when it comes to countries, and they said, what do you think? I never answered one of them. I never said yes or no. I said, that's not up to me. That's not one of my concerns. All my life, when I've been in the, in the States, and please remember, I was born here, so anchor baby, whatever you want to call me, I, I can vote and have, and sometimes don't. And people come up and they would say, you know, Patrick, you know, what, what, what do you think? And I do not answer the question. Why? Because whether or not I vote or whomever I vote, that's not it. This, my nation is not Scotland. My nation is not even America. My nation is the church. My homeland is heaven. That's my journey. And this book pushes that. This book, if you read it, will be offensive to Christians on the right and on the left. But offensive or not, it is true. It is a call to warn Rome and any human or any government that would raise themselves up against God. And I ask that this be put up. It is a theopolitical book. A book stating that God is king and emperor and the only true ruler. And it is in this sense that the book is prophetic. When you hear the word prophetic, prophecy or prophetic, you think of telling the future. In scripture, if you do a word count, and I have because I've got that kind of time, 75% of the time when the Bible talks about prophecy, it is speaking to the people about morality and faithful conduct, not about the future. So when someone is speaking prophetically, they are not necessarily speaking of the future. And here, they're going to face wave after wave of persecution so much that there are sevens and three cycles of sevens and they all knew what the number three and seven meant. We don't use them that way. We'll get there. But they needed to remember, we live a first commandment life. Learn that phrase. Before we vote, before we invest, before we choose our way through life, before we decide what to buy, before we decide how to respond. We have to ask ourselves, are we wrapped around first commandment faithfulness? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen, church? We got to get this. Because the world's doing a bang-up job of getting us off it. I often tell you that there are only two facts in the universe. You know these by now. One, there is a God. Two, you are not Him. But perhaps in an election year, when we are fraught with worry, viruses, riots, and fears, we should act at a third fact here. And I apologize for its lengthiness, but um, 
writing a lot of words is easy. Condensing them is hard. So third rule. And book of Revelation pounds it if you watch for it. No person, no system, no political party can save you. They are not your king. And you are expressly forbidden by God to compromise your loyalty to Jesus Christ in order to support any other agenda, person, party, or thing, period. Maintain your integrity as a Christian. Don't trade it away to people because they made promises to you. No matter what political party one might vote for, and I'm not opposed to voting. I'm not, I'm not where David Lipscomb was. David Lipscomb was opposed to all voting. I'm not there. If you vote, however high up the ticket you vote, vote. But do so as a first commandment Christian, understanding we are not installing a God. We are not installing a Savior. And with the full realization that both political parties, three if you're libertarian, have spent the generations being Lucy pulling away the football, making promises, not following up. But God does not break his promises. God does not leave us hanging. I want you to do some time travel. It's hard for us. As Nikki said, we, we tend to think of things in our ways. You know, that, that back then everything was sweet and cool. Uh, time travel is difficult. And by the way, Nikki, we're so glad you're here. And I'm glad that, by the way, she told me this morning, I hope it's okay, uh, it's a deep, dark secret about her family. No. She told me this morning, this is the first time she's got to lead communion. And I, Nikki, welcome to a church where not only is your voice allowed, it is desired. And it is deeply wanted, your wisdom and your words. Welcome home. We're glad you're here. I want to do some time travel now. You live in the time of Domitian. You would pass by the equivalents of billboards. They would be towers with hanging um, flags, almost like you see in churches sometimes, banners. Every day, you would pass by banners that said, Caesar is Lord. When you went to pay for something and you pulled coins out of your, the folds of your robe, your coins would have his picture and say, Caesar is Lord. You are considered dangerous to the community because you don't join in with the chant. In fact, you say Jesus is Lord, and that is seen as an act of rebellion against the state. Almost all public activities had a prayer to Caesar built into the activity. Most business practices had a ritual before you signed contracts, before you entered into merges that declared allegiance to Caesar and the gods of Rome. Question, could the Christians just go along with this? Maybe practice mental reservation, which is uh, the concept in theology that you are allowed to lie or say something you don't agree with if it serves the matter of justice. And for example, if you were hiding Jews in your attic and a German said, do you know where any Jews are? Mental reservation, would, that doctrine would say, you could say, no, sure don't. Um, I'm not going to argue mental reservation. I'm just saying with us, could we go along with the Caesar stuff and in our head just say, listen, I'm just doing this because I got to keep my job. 
But what after that? Sporting events started with a prayer and a chant about the emperor being God. Want to buy meat in the market? Got to do it too. You want to learn a trade. And if you're fortunate, be allowed in a union, a trade guild, a protected profession. Well, to do so, you would have to swear oaths to Caesar as Lord. I want you to think about the cost of this because it was it's more terrible than you can imagine. All of these pagan elements, social dinners, events, parties, all had them. Literally, if they poured you a cup of wine, you were supposed to dribble a little bit and offer prayer to the gods before you drank it. To not do so, it would be like spitting in the soup. And so they looked upon Christians as barbarians, traitors, which meant that you might lose your job. Well, some of you were thinking, well, you know, that, that could happen. I could do that for Jesus. Hold on. You're going to listen to your children cry at night for hunger? Because they're, they're going to. Or what if you have a brilliant daughter who will never be anything but the lowest servant in another man's house because as a Christian, she will never be admitted to any education? Her son, same way. This is hard. Being faithful to God is hard, especially when the state doesn't want you to be. John, the writer of Revelation, understood all of that, and he even mentions an early Christian martyr named Antipas, who died because of it. Writing to one of the churches, we'll get to this, not today. I know where you live. <laughs> By the way, when God says that, hello. But this is a positive. I know where you live where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. God has a dim view of us linking arms too closely with anything physical and worldly. Christians were branded atheist because they rejected the gods of Rome. We would say, no, no, we're not atheists. We believe in God. But they called you an atheist because you didn't believe in all of them that the state required you to believe in. But I'm, I'm going to go a little further here, shall I? Rome was not evil because it persecuted the church. It didn't help matters. But that's not why Rome was evil. Rome was evil because it usurped the loyalty due Almighty God. And it required that you not look upon anyone as savior, but it, the state, Rome. If I troubled you when I said my nation is the church and my homeland is heaven, please remember these passages. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are moving quickly to get true ID, upgraded driver's licenses, so that one day you'll allow, be allowed to fly again in an infected, recycled air tube. And perhaps you can go to a foreign country where hand washing has not ever been a thing. You want to have that 
idea. We, we don't have to rush. We have passports. If you have a passport, that'll do this well. But think about that. When I pull out the blue folder, it says this man has the right to call himself a citizen of the United States of America. I think that's, I really do think that's one of the reasons my son joined the Marines is because we saw a movie where a man in a foreign country is running and he runs into an American embassy and the Marines out front close ranks. And I remember my son was young and he said, is that true? And I said, yes. As soon as he walks past those Marines, he's on American territory, no matter where he is in the world. And I think my son lit up and thought, I want to do that. We didn't do that. He led a rifle squad, but still, you know, he did what he did. My point is this, I carry a mark that identifies me as a citizen of this state. And the scripture calls me to be a good citizen, to pay taxes, to obey the laws. When I go up into Canada, their speed limits are way too slow and they're way too nice, but I do it because this is what they do. Whenever I am in America, I follow the laws. I've had people say, well, how long does it take you to get such and such? Look at the speed limit and a clock. I'm not going to break the law, not willingly, not knowingly. This is why, because I want to be a good citizen. But my nation or anybody who calls upon Jesus as Lord. This book calls us as it is called them and every generation of believers since it was written to worship the one true God. And here's the second hard thing. I hope it's not as hard as the first. Again, stand in for the book of Revelation. This is not a book about telling us what's going to happen in the future, although there's some of that in there. This is a call to worship. It is a book of worship. In fact, it's going to take us a while to get to the worship scene, the big opening worship scene, but then it just keeps unfolding. Worship. And let me just talk to some of you that as soon as I say worship, you go, eh, I do get it. When I was a wee boy, I can remember once we were in Appalachia. Dad loved Appalachia. We were in and out my entire life. And we were in one of those uh, little white clapboard churches, and we're all crammed in the pews on a Sunday afternoon because they had a singing. Do you remember singing? Some of you. Whenever we used to get together and sing in the afternoon, the churches, before they decided they were terrified of fellowshipping each other. So we all gathered there, and there'd be all the numbers up on the board, and we'd, people would call out numbers. It was, it was an interesting time. I'm sitting there wearing a suit, because God can't hear you if you're not properly dressed. And I'm shoved in there, because everybody wants to come. There's no air conditioning. And at my height, I'm staring at the back of the pew where the funeral fans are. Kids, funeral fans. You just don't even know what you've missed. And by the way, I'm happy for you. You didn't need them. Because you're already hot, you're bored, you're tired, you're looking up, and there's Jesus, funeral home, like that. And you go, you know, I might just do it. I might just do it. And I can remember being bored out of my skull. And because all the songs are about blood and death and dying, right? And weren't even peppy. And my mom looked over at my dad and she goes, Oh, Bill, don't you think heaven would be just like this? I'm going, I need to rethink my options. 
For some people, worship is automatic. It's from the heart. It's good. And God bless you. You were wired that way and weren't scarred by somebody else. For other people, worship, we're, we're looking going, is it entire, it's like, like being in church? No. Worship is more than songs and prayers and praises. In the book of Revelation, songs and prayers and praises all over it. So don't get me wrong, new songs are even all over it. So if, somebody, if Mark pulls a new song and you're going, ah, oh, a new song, get used to it, happens in heaven. It expressly says. But there's more. Worship means orientation and faith. Where are you pointed? Are you asking, seeking, knocking? Are you pointed? Do you have your compass set? upon our true Lord are you even in faith that's the other part faith dark times crying children times death times the Colosseum maybe you didn't know that maybe you didn't know this is a book of worship you ready you're gonna know would you stand as we begin a series of readings from God's holy word <clears throat> Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits before the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise, and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. The time for judging time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb, 
Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. You impressed? Oh, we're not done. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God, serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of, the, of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil's gone down to you and he's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who were and who, who, who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He's condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders, the living, four living creatures, fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they said, Amen. Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded, there's no repetitions. I am not repeating a single verse. They heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. That was a treasonous thing to say, but we'll say it anyway. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people, his nation. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. 
And he added, these are the true words of God. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And that's not all of them. This is a book of worship, of orientation, of faith. We have to be aligned with the runway before we can take off on this book and before we can land this where it needs to be. We need to have our hearts and minds right before we plunge in because we worship God for his creation. We worship him for his reign, for salvation, for justice, for mercy, for Christ's death and resurrection, and for the coming reign of Christ in heaven, redeemed earth or off-site, I don't care. He is our only king. Last, neither Caesar nor any other earthly celebrity, politician, sports star, despot, or king is king of kings and lord of lords. None of them are first and last. I would ask you to say it after me and then with me, very simply. God is God. Church, God is God. One more time. God is God. Let the blessing of Jesus Christ be upon you and all his people.